Welcome to Terrible Omens. I'm Elaine Gray. This podcast is an audio presentation of my book, Terrible Omens, Happiness is the Other Way, published by Thinktorium. For more information about the book, please check us out online at thinktorium.com or visit my author website, elainegray.com. Before we start, I want to cover an important listener's advisory. Parts of this story contain explicit content. What I mean is that I use a lot of salty language and talk intensely about sex and other images and events that might be considered graphic or disturbing. This work isn't and has never been intended for children or particularly sensitive readers. It is a story about the demise of a real-life marriage, after all. So, from this point on, please consider yourself thoroughly advised. And with that bit of business out of the way, let's get started. Proem. What you are about to read is mostly true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent as well as the guilty, but the stories themselves have been told exactly as I experienced them. Let's be very clear. This is my version of things. That's not anything nefarious, it's just the nature of the human experience. It's plagued by the confines of perspective. Sometimes I think it's our lack of omnipotence that makes life really interesting. This whole thing started as a single journal entry. I called it my reluctant divorcee's grimoire, which is kind of funny now that it's done. As it turns out, I was not really reluctant at all. Stupid, maybe, but definitely not reluctant. As for the grimoire part, that's a story for some other day. It all seemed to make sense in the beginning, but as the project really started to take shape, I realized that the real story is less about what came after, and more about what happened in the moment. It's about all the things that were happening right in front of my face that I couldn't process until much later on. Now that it's done, I'm still not sure what this book is exactly. What came out of my head is what my art school choreography instructor probably would have categorized as a, quote, shameless, self-masturbatory work, end quote. I got that feedback a lot back then. I wasn't exactly prepared for that kind of critique at 16, but I hold no grudges today. Looking back, he was right about it most of the time. The process of writing this book was treacherous. To do it right, I had to delve into the depths of my experience and shine light on things that I have never told another soul. I had to take a long and honest look at myself, too, which might have been the hardest part of the whole thing. Luckily for you, my story has been edited for time and boring content. There were so many things that happened and so many ridiculous details that there just wasn't room for all of them, and after a point it just became too much anyway. One of my biggest fears with this project was that the finished product would sound too much like exactly what it was. The journal entries of a situationally borderline mind. Or worse, the hormone-fueled ravings of a marginally literate teenage girl that reads like, I hate this, I am sad, he was mean, she's a bitch, this outfit makes me look fat, and so on. I hope I've managed to avoid that, but I'm sure that some of it's in there. For that, I'm sorry. It probably couldn't be helped. Nevertheless, here it is. 
My accounting of 15 odd years during the prime of my adult life. Now that it's done, it's done. Chapter 1 It was like something snapped. The last fiber of a fraying, invisible rope let go. It was over. I had wanted it, denied it, dreamed about it, avoided it, screamed it, retracted it, wished for it, and it was finally here. I didn't even have to say it. He said it. I can't do this anymore. After all of the fighting and crying in the name of eternal love, that was it. He uttered those five words and changed everything. In retrospect, I shouldn't have been surprised. It had been over for a long time. It was undeniable, like a dead animal in the wall of an old house. It had a stench. Friends would come over and try to be polite. They didn't want to embarrass us by pointing it out, but you could see it on their faces. They smelled it. They knew exactly what it was. Our marriage started out the way many of them do. We were madly and passionately in love. We never wanted to be away from each other. We were making our future together. A marriage, a business, a family. We were going to have everything we thought we could possibly want. To be honest, it was kind of disgusting. It was that nauseating romance novel kind of love. We were certain it was meant to be, too. In the beginning, we even mused about how perfect it was and how lucky we were and how sad everyone else must have been. The air around us smelled sweeter. The colors we saw in the sky were more intense. It was like the light of the world emanated from the space between us. We were special. We were chosen. Chosen for what exactly, we didn't know, but it was something. We were certain of that. To sum it up, Ours was the kind of relationship that makes you puke if you look directly at it too long. Then one day, it changed. Our perfect relationship succumbed to its own truth. The shine wore off and revealed a big lump of nothing underneath. The intoxicating rush of romance waned and left me with an epic headache and the need to hurl any time I thought about the choices I had made. We were two completely different people from two totally different worlds with two laundry lists of irreconcilable wants and needs. We were strangers when we met, and we were strangers when it ended. Our marriage became nothing more than a contract. The reality of our incompatibility had always been there. I just wasn't able to see it through a fog of hormones mixed with copious amounts of affordable Merlot. When we met, I was 26 and primed for commitment, still young enough to feel entitled to a fairy tale romance and definitely old enough to feel the pressures of social expectation and biological imperative. Any of my usual fail-safes that might have inspired me to run, as I usually did within the first three to six months of any given relationship, I ignored. I was feeling the feelings. I had been waiting my whole life for those feelings. So what was a little conflict? All of the best stories were about surviving through struggles, heartache, and tears. I mean, you don't win an Oscar for a role without conflict and oppression, right? Passion is passion. I never expected it to be easy. 
For 20 years before I met Darren, the man who would become my husband, I danced. I don't mean Dolly Dinkle's once-a-year recital to torture your parents kind of dance. I mean real dance. The performing arts boarding school, first professional gig at nine years old, willing to walk around with bloody feet in a permabun kind of dance. It certainly wasn't easy. I loved dance more than anything else in the world. I was certain that romantic love would be the same. In a way, it was. In dance, I learned that pain was good most of the time. I learned that the show goes on regardless of how you feel about your partner that day. Put on your makeup, smile, and dance into the wings. The audience doesn't get to see behind the curtain. My marriage was much the same. The alarms were sounding, the red flags were waving, the costumes were shredded, and the footlights were busted. But the show went on. Two years and 33 days elapsed between the day Darren and I met and the day we got married. It seemed like it should have been enough time to get clear on exactly what I was getting myself into, but it wasn't. I was too distracted by the rest of my life. We were in chiropractic college. That's where we met. To clear up what that means exactly, I was working toward a doctorate in chiropractic, Yes, that's a real thing. Yes, I am a real doctor. No, it's not the same thing as massage therapy. Yes, I still have student loans. And no, I didn't go there because medical school was too hard for me. And yes, I have a chip on my shoulder about it. Anyway, classes, tests, dissecting dead people, not to mention clinicals and national boards, consumed most of my energy. In fact, all of the pressures seemed to serve our relationship well. It gave us common goals and made us utterly oblivious to our overwhelming isolation. Our lives were driven by an external set of rules, demands, and deadlines. There was very little room for us to disagree, and there was definitely no time to fight about it when we did. To top it off, 30 was looming in the distance for me. I hadn't expected the idea of turning 30 to freak me out as much as it did, it was like a ghost lurking in the shadows, dark, oppressive, and unstoppable, no matter how young I looked or how much moisturizer I used. The biological countdown clock to spinsterhood had started ticking loudly, and I succumbed to it. In the fairy tales I read as a kid, I learned that every princess was owed a prince as long as she followed the rules and did everything she was supposed to do on time. If she missed her mark, she was destined to become a wart-faced hag who ate hapless children as a snack. I certainly didn't want that. Obviously, I was supposed to get married. Life as a wart-faced hag was not for me, so in the midst of the upheaval that I had chosen for myself, I did it to fulfill my destiny. Thanks to a preacher and the powers that be at the Allegheny County Courthouse, the contract was executed. The choice had been made, and there was no going back. A year and a half later, school was done, our board exams were passed, and we started off together as husband and wife toward the rest of our lives. In the aftermath of my divorce, I sometimes lose entire days to the grind of self-reflection. The events and the emotions swirl through my head as I struggle to make peace with the outcome. 
My mind clamors for an inkling of clarity that might let me rest and that might bring me a little peace. Our marriage certainly wasn't all bad. There were times, especially in the beginning, that seemed like the fairy tale I had been promised. We even joked that we would have a ten-year honeymoon because we were so happy and things were so perfect. Like I said, it was pretty disgusting there for a little while. Needless to say, our honeymoon didn't make it for ten years. Real life hit us quickly, and we both suffered as a result. At the time, I was convinced that a good marriage demanded a little suffering to make it stronger, like suffering was a display of love and my willingness to suffer was directly proportional to the amount of love I had to give. For love to be real and to last, I would have to fight for it. We fought so hard that our love should have been rock solid. It wasn't. Most of the time, it existed as a black hole in the murky nether region between passionate love-fucking and unbearable suffering. It's curious. If I had known what the future had in store for us, would I have still said yes? If I had paid better attention in the beginning, would my decision have been the same? I'm sad to say, probably so. There were too many hormones involved, not to mention my waning youth and general stupidity. Okay, then. If I had known the future at any point, would I have stayed as long as I did? The answer to this question is also probably so. What I need to understand is why. Why did I stay as long as I did? Why was I unable, or worse, unwilling, to accept the inevitability of our marital decomposition as it was happening? Why didn't I do something about it? And now that it's done, why am I so unwilling to move on? Like I said before, my marriage kicked the bucket, but honestly, it was on life support from the beginning. I know for sure it had completely flatlined by year nine. The alarm bells were sounding, the codes were being called. We ignored them. Eventually, we shut the entire warning system down. Those alarms can be so annoying, after all. When our marriage gasped its final breath, we were oblivious. We paid no attention to it. Instead of respectfully covering it with a sheet and wheeling it off to the morgue, we ignored it and let it rot right under our noses. That means a full post-mortem is in order, no matter how ridiculous or painful it is. Report of autopsy. Case type, matrimonial. Reported date of death, September 12, 2012. Actual date and hour of death, indeterminate. Refer to detailed report. Attached. Deceased, name, age, and gender. Darren Robert Danke, age 38, male. Elaine Catherine Gray Danke, not hyphenated, maiden name Gray, age 41, female. Cause of death? Acute cardiac incompatibility with attendant intellectual rejection and genital ischemia. Slutus vulgaris exposure evident in male organs. Upon further examination, I was 26 when I met Darren. He was 24. I turned 28 the day before I married him. 
I had never been particularly concerned with external pressures to bind myself to a man or to create a family before then. I was never bothered by maternal instincts until suddenly, one day, I was acutely aware of time. I was suddenly aware of my lack of legacy. Suddenly, I wanted to belong to something or someone in a way that had never been necessary for me before. As these imperatives started to worm their way through my psyche, Darren appeared, and that was all it took. Everything clicked into place like a thick set of beer goggles at last call, and that was it. Our marriage wasn't my destiny. Our introduction wasn't cosmically ordained. There was nothing inherently supernatural about it. He could have been almost anybody with half a brain, a full set of teeth, and working genitalia. Sometimes free will has its drawbacks. I chose Darren all by myself. I chose him over all other potential breeding mates despite all of the things that should have scared me away. That explains how it started. It's much harder to explain the 15 years that followed. Why did I stay in it as long as I did? Maybe I believed in his basic decency. Maybe I thought he had potential. Maybe I was just afraid of the unknown. Maybe it was a distorted sense of loyalty. Maybe it was the mountain of debt we had created. Maybe I thought I'd win a prize for suffering the longest. Ah, the coveted world's longest sufferer award. What an honor. Maybe I was just stubborn and unwilling to admit that I was wrong about one of the biggest life decisions I had ever made. I do hate being wrong. Maybe I felt pressured by an unseen patriarchal social construct. I was supposed to be educated, successful, married, and childbearing no matter what I actually wanted out of my life. Truthfully, it seemed like it was a little bit of all of it. Ultimately, however, I believe it was the vow that really sealed it. I stayed because I took a vow. I took the vow. I know that the whole my word is my bond thing is pretty melodramatic, but it is true for me. If I say the words, specifically those words, then I have taken the vow. For me, it was a covenant with a power much bigger than one small human. It wasn't just because I took the vow in a church in front of God and everybody, as my grandmother used to say. It wasn't just because I had entered into a legally binding marital agreement or had been issued an official license or anything. It wasn't because I spent a bunch of money we didn't have on a party for Darren's friends and family to publicly celebrate it. Nope, it was simpler than that. I took the vow. I made the big promise. I had never made that promise to anyone before. I had sworn to myself that when the day came that I made that promise, I was going to keep it. It was a one-shot deal. One and done. No backsies. But everything dies eventually. Even marriages. Sometimes the end is a natural progression like going to sleep and just never waking up. Other times you have to blow the whole thing up and salt the earth behind you to kill it. Sometimes that isn't even enough. The ghost of my marriage still haunts me. It screams in the back of my brain with a single wraith-like wail stuck on a repeating loop. 
I tried just about everything to shut it up. I prayed. I meditated. I kept journals of both the regular and the gratitude variety. I let a life coach show me my authentic self, which was, according to her, a sad, aging Barbie doll who was hamstrung by a distorted need for affirmation from men. I authentically wanted to punch that tiny, wrinkled bitch right in the face. But I digress. I made vision boards. I even saw a shaman who said he cleansed my aura of parasites, although he was unable to explain to me what they were, why they were there, or where they went once he was done. It was all useless, except for the journals. The real ones. Not the fake happiness till you make it gratitude bullshit, of course. So, here's my story. My expanded autopsy of a rotting corpse of a marriage. (laughs) 